passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, it's John Pollock and... Welcome, everybody, to our fourth straight night of shows to conclude Survivor Series weekend with four nights at the Toyota Center. Mixed results when it came to crowds uh, throughout these four shows, as we have gone over on some of the shows. Uh, Raw, the attendance was down, and just seeing a photo that was circulating from Tuesday night, it seemed that uh, Tuesday night's television tapings not well attended at the Toyota Center. But uh, that might be a record for a negative observation in a show as we are 30 seconds in. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for downloading the show. If you're sick of my voice by now, well, you are going to be rewarded with four consecutive nights without shows from us after tonight. Uh, we're going to go through SmackDown. I also sat through 205 Live because at that point, when you've watched 13 hours of WWE programming over the last 72, what's another hour? So we will chat about all of that uh, coming out of the Survivor Series and how they were going to position SmackDown and the key figures on SmackDown coming out of that show. Because there was a lot um, to cover uh, from the main event. Uh, AJ Styles and Jinder Mahal was a match that did not happen on Tuesday night, despite it being advertised Sunday that the rematch would take place for the title tonight. It did not. And this was somewhat uh, suspected on Monday, uh, if you were listening to our show, and they were not pushing the title match. So it looks like a case of coming up with an idea and then changing said plans, and it looks like they'll be holding off on Styles and Jinder Mahal. Well, technically, they're doing it this Saturday at Starcade, which was not promoted once on television, nor did they need to. It's strictly a house show, so why promote on television when there's no outlet for your national audience to see it? But they are doing the match at Starcade on the house shows, but the big title match will be next month at Clash of Champions, which is taking place December 17th in Boston. We also got some more call-ups on SmackDown from NXT. We'll go through those. And even 205 Live is growing by one. So there's a tease of what is to come. Uh, Wei Ting is not with me tonight. He is actually in the air going from Japan to Shanghai as we speak. And then we'll be making his way back to Canada later on this week. And next Monday, we will be back to normal with myself and Way, Mondays and Wednesday mornings with our reviews of Raw and SmackDown. And then the world will all make sense again. So let us go into Tuesday night show from the aforementioned Toyota Center on November the 21st, which in a trivia note is 18 years to the day of WCW Mayhem, a completely forgettable pay-per-view that they put on from the Air Canada Centre in Toronto, Ontario, but 
the trivia note being that it was at that show that I first met Dan Lavransky and Jason Agnew. That was the first time I ever met them because I had won tickets and got to sit with them in the fourth row. And what a show we got to sit through. And among the many highlights of that show, and I definitely am using air quotes for that, I remember a retirement match in which Kurt Hennig lost and therefore had to retire. And God bless my hometown of Toronto. They, this audience treated it like this was the send-off. This was the end of Kurt Hennig's career. And they gave this guy this like hero's farewell after this match. And Kurt Hennig would walk away from wrestling for an entire 24 hours and return the next night on Nitro. A wonderful WCW moment of many at that time period in 1999. I digress. We get back into SmackDown here. It started off with a recap of the Survivor Series, and the image just goes black to let you imagine Shane McMahon being beat. They actually didn't even show a still photo of him being pinned by Hunter, and then the image of Braun holding up Hunter's arm. I was... I was thinking way too deep into this that SmackDown should be totally biased. They should be the Fox News of the WWE. They are not going to be fair and balanced in their assessment of the Survivor Series. They lost. So now they are going to use their media manipulation to paint a different picture of Survivor Series. I'm not saying that they just don't show anything. I'm saying you could put together a video package where on Raw, here is the team that blew through SmackDown. They are the dominant brand. That's the recap on Monday. But on Tuesday, you focus on Owens and Zayn running in, which they did. They actually did bring that part up here in this recap. But you focus on all the excuses so that Raw, like, they lucked themselves into a victory while SmackDown was wronged and just be very heavy-handed in the editing of all of this. And instead of just doing your typical WWE production, because this is how we do things coming out of a pay-per-view. Shane McMahon came out, no dancing. So he has learned what, what tone and timing means. He says, we were so close, clearly watching a different pay-per-view on Sunday. He was so close, he said. And even in defeat, SmackDown will not be considered anything other than the show in the WWE. Huh? What was the point of this then? They went to war. They lost where we had put up nothing. The only thing that was on the line was bragging rights. And the losing team is coming out of this with their own bragging rights. They're just totally changing the goal lines here. They're just making up rules as they go along. I felt this line was so stupid. This negated everything to me. It was like, well, who cares? Who cares if you guys are just going to be, hey, we're, we're the show anyway. We had, we had them go on Raw saying, well, SmackDown proved they are not the B show. Huh? At the very least, can we not have one brand that for the next year is going to brag about kicking the ass of the other so that we have some, some heat next year? SmackDown can live down this loss all year long. Every co-branded pay-per-view, there's some segment where Stephanie gloats about her victory, and we can 
just tease this throughout the year, it there it's constantly referred back to. No. Shane just said, yeah, whatever. We're a great show. That's it. Let's move on. We only invaded their entire show and gave a, a war rally last week as we sent the troops off. But, eh, whatever. We lost. We're moving on. And then he singles out Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. And they are the only two people in the locker room who he's not going to put over. He calls them out. And Owen says it must be hard for Shane to have to start the show yet again, making more excuses about why he failed. And Zayn wants an apology. Owen says it was a fatal mistake that Shane left them off the team, and they could have beaten the Shield two on. Uh, they could have beaten the Shield in a handicap match. They could have beaten the Raw Survivor Series team two on five, and either one of them could have beaten Brock Lesnar. Zayn is just playing Owen's hype man throughout this promo. Shane says that they don't have respect for anyone in the WWE. They don't respect Shane, and they don't respect the fans. Owen says that everyone in the locker room and the industry respects them, and Shane would be a fool to fire them because Shane is teasing that he has two words for Kevin Owens. Shane says they're delusional if they think they're the top two stars in the WWE. Just go watch your 365 special, Kevin. And the locker room hates them. He goes to say that they're fired, but before he can get it out, and I thought the two words were going to be bludgeon brothers, and they were going to be thrown to slaughter here against Harper and Rowan, but no, he actually was going to fire them, and Daniel Bryan interrupted the firing to come out, and Owens and Zayn are playing to Bryan, stating he's a reasonable individual. Bryan agrees the locker room does hate them, and said he even had to send Randy Horton, Randy Orton home because... Orton said he wouldn't be responsible if he saw them tonight. So Orton was not on this show at all. However, they set up uh, a match for him for next week that we'll get to. So he will presumably be there next Tuesday. He says, Brian says the New Day is pissed that they were left high and dry last week and makes a match with Owens and Zayn against the New Day. And it's going to be a lumberjack match with the entire SmackDown locker room that presumably hates Owens and Zayn. This was so contrary. We just had Shane explain how insignificant this loss at the Survivor Series really was. However, this entire locker room is furious at Owens and Zayn for losing this meaningless match that had no bearing on any of their futures. Because they're all fine. And they're all moving on. And this doesn't matter. We're still the show. So I thought the loss... Oh, wins are only as important as the losses are sold by the people that lose. And there is a value in putting stakes in losers having to now battle back from a major loss, from selling the effects of it so that the audience realizes this loss was important. It had all of these ramifications that ran through the locker room, that this whole brand is, now has a chip on their shoulder. And you, there's so many stories you could have told. And I felt instead it was all about coming out of this and making SmackDown whole again instead of trying to tell a story that this one side went to war and won, and another went to war and lost. And they go in their separate paths for the next year. No, that was not done at all on this episode of SmackDown. Instead of AJ facing Jinder Mahal, well, that's been downgraded to an address that AJ was going to make later on. Jey Uso took on Shelton Benjamin. 
Benjamin landed this flying knee on the rope, sending Jay to the floor to set up the commercial break. They came back. Jay landed a kick to the midsection, Samoan drop, and then the running hip attack in the corner. Gable then blocked Jay going for a dive to the floor. So Jimmy yanked Gable down, but got reversed and sent it to a barricade. Shelton got a roll up on a distracted Jay for a two count. Jay super kicked him for a near fall. And then Jay goes to the top, misses, and Benjamin hits the pay dirt and pins Jay Uso. So presumably we're going to continue with these two tag teams involved in the title picture uh, moving forward with Benjamin getting the win here. And and that was that. Owens and Zayn were backstage and they're speaking with Baron Corbin trying to get him onto their side, stating that Shane will target him eventually. Baron says, I can't stand either of you and you can go find someone more weak-minded. And they walk and... The weak-minded target appeared to be Bobby Roode, who they walked into next, and they ask if Bobby wants to just be a pawn for Shane McMahon or actually wants to be somebody. Owen says, do you want to be a lumberjack like everyone else or stand out and be different? And in my mind, I was expecting Bobby Roode to reply and ask him, "Uh, did you not see me wearing the SmackDown shirt of choice on Sunday? I have no interest in standing out or being different. Rude reminds them that he was in the Survivor Series match and Owens and Zayn ruined it, ruined it for the whole locker room. And he owes them a receipt. First of all, what exactly did Owens and Zayn cost the locker room? They had a run-in attempt that backfired. Shane prevailed over them. He beat the shit out of Sami Zayn with a chair before he continued with the match. They were not even responsible for an elimination. And Bobby Roode was long gone. He had been eliminated eons before Owens and Zayn finally showed up. So whatever issue there was here, much less the entire locker room. Like, could you imagine the Colognes really have a vested interest in Owens and Zayn's attempted run-in during that main event? Boy, did that change their course of history. Naomi's getting her makeup applied. I don't know for what. I guess just for this segment because she wasn't booked on anything later, but still was getting her makeup done. And she's bummed about the fact that her team lost to Raw, probably more bummed about her interaction with Alicia Fox, and felt good, though, that Charlotte beat Alexa Bliss. And then Ruby Riot appears, and she introduces her pals Liv Morgan and Sarah Logan, and they do their best impression of Paige, Mandy Rose, and Sonya Deville by attacking Naomi. Becky comes out and attacks them and gets thrown into the equipment and laid out. They shut a door on her repeatedly. Corey Graves immediately brings up the comparison to Paige, Rose, and DeVille from the night prior. Now, take it or leave it on these decisions for call-ups. I really I don't care about the decisions. I mean, I think Ruby Riot is is very talented. I think she's a, a very good talent. Um, and maybe they felt that her, she was too similar to Paige that you wouldn't want to put those two together and separate them. That's all well and good. Liv Morgan's been in developmental for three years at this point. Sarah Logan's been around for a while, but was only signed coming out of the May Young Classic. To me, it was just this lacked any original thought for a call-up. I mean, to do this 24 hours after the exact same introduction of uh the other two NXT call-ups from the night prior, uh, to me, it's just it just screamed like no creativity. 
existed for this call-up to do the exact same thing. This is not a situation where there's going to be, yeah, one day down the road, if these two teams got super hot, you could do a crossover. That's not happening anytime soon. Uh, it, to me, it just it watered down both angles. I, I think there was some interest in the females on Raw Monday night, and this just felt like such a a copycat, like just such a blatant one that I, I think that could be the only conclusion you come out of this with. And I think it was just a disservice to the women as well. I mean, it didn't matter what they did. It was just that was going to be the conclusion people made. So I feel you j- just could have spaced them out a week, God forbid, two weeks. Personally, I would have gone with a much more stronger heel unit that could be brought up to SmackDown and is something totally different from what you did Monday with this chaotic three-woman group that's running roughshod on Raw. On SmackDown, there was the option to bring up Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. And the obvious reason is, well, then what does NXT do for the heel side of things? Because it's pretty bare once you took it, take out Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. Well, why don't we have the... NXT group of Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan form a group on NXT, and it gives Ember Moon some people to to challenge immediately, and you could do an angle with, with these three. I think that they would excel at a much faster pace in NXT uh, as heels and getting used to that that particular role and the three working off one another. I, I think that would have been something where, because I don't think anyone was clamoring for any of these three that they were at the top of the list uh, for potential call-ups. And, and these could have been three people that if they got really hot in NXT, will then have them come up in eight months time when Paige's group is really hot on the main roster. So, Maybe I'm making a lot of conclusions based off just an introductory angle. This on its own would have been fine. Just like the one on Monday was, it was done fine. It was an impactful way to introduce uh, three women on either show. Together, it just diluted it to me. Shane and Brian are backstage. And Shane just says, well, I wasn't aware that you were calling up any of the women. So this was all Daniel Bryan's doing. Uh, Shane was not the unoriginal one. And... He calls the Lumberjack match genius because now that he has cooled off, he realizes Daniel Bryan's solution was better than his of firing Owens and Zayn right away. Instead, with this new option, the New Day will get to receive their revenge tonight and then Bryan can fire them. And Bryan doesn't respond to this option. And Shane just says, well, I'm taking off. Thanks a lot, leader. And he throws on his backpack and is taking off to the hotel. I love this. This was the the one-shoulder uh, backpack walk-off by Shane. And it was left with the impression that Shane believed Brian was going to fire Owens and Zane, do the, do, play bad cop, and he was just going to take off for the night. I mean, what, what a – this guy who takes this, this team to war, invades the other show, puts Daniel Bryan in danger on Raw, and here he's just taking off. I mean, how could you not be sympathetic to Brian here? We had a Snickers spot, and of course, Snickers spot, let's dig up Ric Flair's retirement. Maybe the most famous segment in Raw history was the segment we chose for the Snickers spot. The Hype Bros took on 
the Bludgeon Brothers. And the Bludgeon Brothers came out, new entrance. They walked from opposite sides uh, into the arena, down the ramp with their hammers. The lights are, are dimmed on them. And then they reveal their new maroon and black outfits that looked like something I would have strung together if I got 24 hours notice that I am going out with my friends for a tribute to uh, medieval wartime heroes, these outfits were something else. They looked like uh, they looked like something right out of guys that you would see at medieval times, which is, for those in Toronto will know what I'm talking about. Rowan nailed Ryder off the apron, and Harper attacks him on the floor, tosses him into the steps. Harper then slaps Rowan to pump him up as they hit Mojo with a splash and then a Harper big boot. And their finish is lifting up Mojo by the armpits and slamming him down. And this was just a pure squash in a minute 26 with the Bludgeon Brothers winning. This felt much more ascension than it did uh, Road Warriors. Dasha interviewed Natalia backstage. She seemed to blank on her question, so Natalia just took over. She says that in the women's division, she's going to win back her title. She calls Ric Flair a hot mess when he showed up last week, blubbering and that it was disgusting, and calls Charlotte Wonder Woman, and she wonders which woman will knock Charlotte off her perch. And she plans to do that tonight with her rematch for the title. AJ Styles came out. They aired uh, an edited version of the Paul Heyman promo online after the Survivor Series, putting over AJ as an updated version of Ric Flair, Bret Hart, and Shawn Michaels. Everyone was chanting for Styles. The announcers put him over. I know there was concern with people that, man, how did this make AJ look on Sunday? And I didn't think it hurt him at all. In fact, I think it did him. I mean, compare him to what he had been doing of late with Baron Corbin and... He was just in feuds that were not emphasizing the 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 limit, the unlimited uh, potential of AJ to me as a as a top end world champion on this brand. And this match to me got AJ right back on course, uh, even in losing. And they did such a great job here of just putting him over as this guy who took Brock to the limit. And I, I don't think AJ was hurt one bit. I think this has really gotten him back on track, to be honest. He says he hit Lesnar with every trick in the book. Everyone told him he held his own against Lesnar, but says you don't get trophies for second place. After the match, he wasn't the one limping to the back. Lesnar was, and he says if Lesnar ever wants a rematch, well, in the Rocky sequel, Rocky wins. So keeping that there, and given where they have no no ready-made challenger for the Rumble, I think people would would love a rematch between Lesnar and Styles. The problem is you can't beat Brock at the Royal Rumble, and beating AJ a second time, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But uh, you could do it with a lot worse options because as we get closer and closer to the Rumble, Kane's name is going to just be burning in the back of my head as the option they're going to fall back on. Jinder, he says, was going to take his title tonight, so he lays down the title and challenges challenges Jinder to come take it. Instead, Jinder appears on the big screen. He's too busy to come down because he's watching the Brock Lesnar match over and over. Uh, I guess he got a free preview of the network. He says he wasn't ready two weeks ago because he was preparing for Lesnar, and he would have been hailed the Beastmaster had he faced Lesnar. Styles says that sounds stupid, and he seems rested because he did nothing on Sunday. And he will. Jinder says he'll choose when he wants his rematch. They will clash 
at somewhere more deserving than Texas, and he said they will meet at Clash of Champions in Boston, December 17th. So that is your penciled-in main event, and given where we went for TLC and Survivor Series, penciled-in is an appropriate term when it comes to a main event being announced this far out for the WWE. After this, the Singh brothers jumped AJ from behind. He fought them off, ending with a Styles Clash to Samir. And next week on SmackDown, they're going to do a handicap match with Samir and Sunil Singh against AJ Styles. Owens and Zayn are backstage. They run into Rusev and Aiden English. And English, they walk in on English singing to Rusev, and Russo is just in his glory listening to this uh, Rusev Day song. Zayn and Owens say... That as French Canadians, they will not be celebrating Thanksgiving this week, and instead they're going to honor Rusev Day. They know their actions weren't about screwing SmackDown, they say to Rusev. They know that. It was about getting revenge on SmackDown. And he brings up how Rusev lost his chance to be on the Survivor Series team, and Cena got on the team without lifting a finger. He says that Rusev Day is more popular than the New Day. And then Zayn with one of the most random comments I can recall on a WWE broadcast, said that he's even heard people refer to English, I guess meaning the New Day, thinking of English as a terrorist. But Zayn disagrees with this. Uh, but it's what he's heard, he says. So there we go. A terrorist joke on SmackDown. The Usos were on WWE shop duty uh, for the Black Friday sale this week. Uh, not at Luke Gallo's level, but they were fine. Charlotte versus Natalia. SmackDown women's title. Charlotte started off with chops. Then Natalia nailed her into the turnbuckle. Came back from break. Natalia lifted her out of the corner with a sit-out powerbomb. Then Natalia applies the sharpshooter. Charlotte escapes, gets out, gets to the top rope, and goes for the moonsault from the top. Lands on the knees of Natalia, which I'm sure did a number on those injured ribs that had miraculously healed in 48 hours. The discus clothesline gets stopped with a spear by Charlotte, and then Natalia rolls to the floor, and it's the return of Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Liv Morgan as they jump Natalia. The bell is called. Then they circle Charlotte and beat her down. Logan hit a running boot to the body. There was a spin kick from Ruby Riot. The crowd is chanting NXT, and they leave Charlotte laying. So, listen, on its own, cool. But this was just such a... It was like, well, we're bringing up these three women on Raw and these three women on SmackDown, and we'll put our thoughts into Monday, and then Tuesday, we had no ideas. Zero. So we just did the exact same thing with the champion laid out. Daniel Bryan's backstage with Dasha and asks about the ending to the women's title match, and he calls it an interesting situation and has no comment. Zayn and Owens appear, and they feel that they're going to get ripped limb from limb by this roster, and he knows how valuable they are and says firing them would be the biggest mistake he ever made. Bryan just wishes them luck and exits. Lumberjack time, and boy... Maybe this was the reason Randy Orton felt he needed the night off. He wasn't going to be wearing that SmackDown t-shirt and being a nondescript lumberjack all in the course of 48 hours. But poor Shinsuke Nakamura is the first lumberjack out and he couldn't, he could have worn a paper bag over his head and stood out more than he did here. Uh, the Usos were lumberjacks along with Rude, The Ascension, Rusev, Ty Dillinger, Aiden English, The Colognes making a rare appearance, 
Gable Benjamin, Sinkara, Mike Bennett, Brizongo, and Baron Corbin. Uh, they also announced for next week the Fashion Files will return, and they're doing a Jigsaw parody next week. I cannot wait. It will be torture one way or another. Kofi Kingston and Big E against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Main event. Zayn tries to leave the match. All the Lumberjacks lift him up and carry him back to the ring as they go to break. They do the unicorn stampede on Owens. Owens gets out of that, fights back against Kingston. He's clapping, mocking the New Day as he goes for a senton. And Kofi got his knees up. Then Big E comes in, hits a number of belly-to-belly suplexes to Zayn, and then tosses Zayn down to the Lumberjacks on the floor. Corbin goes to strike Zayn, who ducks, and Corbin nails Bobby Roode by mistake. And this prompts all of the Lumberjacks to start brawling. They get into the ring. The final one sent out is Xavier Woods, who is in a Lumberjack outfit. Kofi then goes after Owens, and Zayn returns from the floor, capitalizes with a schoolboy, pinning Kofi Kingston to get the win. After the match, Rusev drops Big E on the floor, so they were teasing an alliance here with Rusev and Aiden English paired with Owens and Zayn. Kingston then jumps off the top to the floor, taking out Rusev in English, and then Owens leaves and abandons Sami Zayn, who is brought into the ring by the New Day. They beat down Zayn. They hit him with a Trouble in Paradise from Kofi. Then the Midnight Hour is hit. And then we cut backstage, and there's Owens. He's left Zayn, and he runs into Daniel Bryan. Owens is begging Bryan not to fire him. He's getting down on both knees. And there are there are very few heels, top heels, who you can get away with doing this, the cowardly act such as this but this to me was even pushing it for Kevin Owens getting on his knees just because he's been I mean he always kind of does the the bully gimmick and then when someone stands up to him or threatens him he cowers but I don't know if this was needed at this moment but nonetheless he begged for his job Brian says he was never going to fire Owens or Zane. He recognizes their talent and announces that next week, Kevin Owens will take on the returning Randy Orton in Lexington, Kentucky. So uh, that should be a very good match next week uh, with Orton and Owens. And that capped off SmackDown. Um, weakest of the four shows, I would say, that Houston, Texas got. Um, there was... There was a fair amount of of storyline elements to this show. We had the call-ups, setting up some stuff for the future. But overall, I thought this was like just sweeping Survivor Series under the rug and moving on. And it just seemed to be like, what did we waste all our time on? This was such a big angle and just instantly in the first line, Shane just moved on and that was it. And they put the heat on Owens and Zayn, which, I mean, you're just trying to transfer the heat of Raw to those two. And it just it wasn't an easy movement of heat so to speak so that was smackdown not the uh not the best smackdown of all time but had had some moments to it 205 live because why not right uh this was their final hour they had to produce for after a marathon of shows since saturday night and for this they kind of just took the idea of the survivor series and applied it to the theme of the show, which was Enzo was sending out his four members of the Zoe train and they were going to face the four baby faces in three matches. And it was going to be um, basically uh, two out of three wins uh, for Enzo, where they would split two matches and it would come down to the main event. That was pretty much the show. 
It started off cold with Enzo, Arya Davari, Tony Nice, and Noam Dar from earlier today with a Thanksgiving dinner layout. Enzo's wearing a Randy Savage t-shirt, and he says he booked them all in matches tonight, and if they make him look good, then Christmas may come early, and one of them will get a recommendation for a future Cruiserweight title shot. So reserve the edge of your seat for the next 50 minutes of your life. Uh there was no Drew Gulak here, so the gobbledygooker enters, and it's revealed to be the gobbledygulacker. Enzo was not impressed, which made for, uh, you could take a number on that. Gulak and Tozawa had a street fight. This was hands down the, the best match on this particular show. Gulak is out in jeans, and he has hand wraps with power and point written on his knuckles. He states he's here to clean up the streets and represent Enzo. And as he goes for the PowerPoint presentation, Tozawa interrupted. Uh, they started the match. Tozawa hit a PK and a senton combo, dropped him with a straight right in the corner. And then he went for his suicide dive. And as he went to land it, he gets caught like in a front chancery by Gulak, who then vertical suplexes Tozawa onto the ramp. And then he starts... Uh, grabbing the no chance sign in the ring. Meanwhile, the crowd is chanting for tables and Gulak just holds up his sign. Gulak was trying his best, but there were about 20 guys in the crowd that were chanting and into this show. He sets up the sign in the corner. Tozawa reversed and ended up suplexing Gulak through the sign uh, and the wooden stand that it was attached to. Tozawa then brought out a table, which got a huge reaction per 205 Live standards. Gulak stops him, took over. They go to the floor. Gulak gets tossed over the announcer's desk. And then Tozawa does a running cannonball dive off of the table to Gulak. Tozawa then gets the trash can and a kendo stick, puts the trash can on top of Gulak, attacks with the kendo stick, places him on the table. And with the trash can still on top of Gulak while he lies on the table, Tozawa comes off the top of the senton, pinning Gulak at 11 minutes and 11 seconds. So uh, this was a fun match between these two. Uh, when you get 11 minutes with an Akira Tozawa match, it's likely going to be uh, good stuff, and it was here. Then they aired a promo for the soon-to-be-debuting Hideo Atami, who they just listed as coming soon. So he is drawing 205 Live in his immediate future, as many anticipated him showing up for. But they're going to hold off his debut. I thought they could have just paired him with uh, two females and taken out members of the roster on 205 Live. That would have seemed to have been uh, the pattern this week. We're back at the Thanksgiving setup, and Nice is eating a turkey leg, and he's up next. And he says he doesn't care about Hideo Itami. Itami should get on the Zoe train. Enzo tells Nice to focus on staying on board, unlike Gulak, who just lost. Swan, Ali, and Alexander all walk in. And Alexander and Swan took turns took turns doing a weak Enzo impersonation. They make fun of the heels. Enzo then says they have to rep his brand tonight like their life depends on it. And that takes us to match number two with Mustafa Ali against Tony Nice. Nice stopped to pose, and then Ali got the better of him, so he posed. Ali goes to the top and hit the somersault dive to the floor, taking out Nice, and in landing, somersaulted on the floor right back to his feet. Looked very good. Nice trips him on the top of the barricade, then kicks him onto his shoulders, drops him on the announcer's desk as fans are, well, fans, I think five guys tops were chanting for Nigel. 
Ali rolled into an X-Factor, dropped him with a forearm, then came out of the corner with a tornado DDT for a two-count, climbed to the top, Nice climbs under the turnbuckle to avoid the inverted 450, and then drove Ali into the corner post, following up with his running knee and pins Mustafa Ali at seven minutes and five seconds. So we have it one apiece to set up the main event uh, with nothing on the line other than whoever looked impressive would get a recommendation for a future title shot. It was riveting stipulations. Enzo is celebrating this victory by Tony Nese with Davari and Noam Dar and says that they are going to smack the smiles off of Alexander and Swan, and then they're going to force them to eat their Thanksgiving dinner through a straw. Enzo announces he'll be ringside for the match and points to the embarrassment. And there's Gulak with his gobbledygooker outfit on, and he's been given a timeout, and he forgot to go to the bathroom before putting his costume on. And this this comedy would uh, be, you could describe it as something that Gulak was probably trying to um, excrete. Enzo came out with Dar and Davari, and the crowd is chanting with him, but really no promo from Enzo. It's just his... How you doing? And that was it. Uh, because Swan's music hit. They interrupted, came out. Swan and Cedric Alexander, one of my favorite teams going right now, had a average match, I'll say, with Arya Davari and Noam Dar. Um, the hard camera side, these fans just ignored this match at the beginning, and they were cheering for Enzo, who was at ringside. They cut to Enzo, and here, the, the despicable heel is high-fiving some kids. Great stuff. Dar avoided a lumbar check early on. They got heat on Alexander. They dragged him away from Swan, then slips past Davari to dive and finally make the tag. Swan comes in, does his leaping hurricane run off the top turnbuckle or second turnbuckle to Davari, goes for a Phoenix splash, and Enzo stops him by tripping Swan. Davari recovers, hits a frog splash on Swan, getting a near fall. Enzo then yells at Davari to tag in Dar because Davari can't get the job done. And Swan comes back, hits a head kick to Dar. Enzo distracts the referee. Cedric yanks Enzo down and teases going after him when Dar makes the save, attacking Cedric. Then Dar comes back in into a spinning wheel kick from Swan, followed by a Phoenix splash, and Rich Swan pins Noam Dar at 8 minutes and 6 seconds. Immediately, Enzo, Davari, and Dar, or just Enzo and Davari, they attack Swan. Ali and Tozawa run down, but they're stopped by Nice and Gulak, and the four heels, the Zo train, beat down the baby faces inside the ring. Davari hit the hammerlock lariat to Alexander. Dar hit his running in Saguri to Swan. They stack them on top of each other, and Enzo comes off the top with a splash, grabs his title, stands over top, and asks, how you doing, to end the show. So... What I took from this was that Tony Nese was the only member of the team that won, so therefore, he should get a title shot. We'll see if that is honored or not. This was uh, this felt like hitting a wall after a lot of WWE over the past uh, couple of nights. So I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but ever since I finished that Sunday night show where I talked to myself for an hour and 15 minutes, my throat has been uh, not surviving the Survivor Series. So... I am now going to celebrate by being uh, very uh, quiet for the next couple of days. So that's going to wrap it up. Um, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, we we wanted to do these bonus shows, and it, we were able to get four nights in a row. So impressed myself, to be honest. Uh, 
For those of you that maybe have not heard how you can follow our shows, the easiest way is to go to johnandway4.life. And there you can download the show directly to your desktop and transfer it over. Or you can copy and paste the RSS feed, which is in the top left corner. Just click on that. The RSS feed is there. Uh, Right-click, save the URL, and then you can paste that into whatever podcast app you have, and then you can add it into iTunes or whatever your app of choice is on whatever your device that you're using. So that's the easiest way to do it as we uh, transition. So that is uh, how you can follow us as well. Uh, I am at I am John Pollock on Twitter and Instagram. Way is at Way0937, documenting his big tour of Asia, which is coming to a close later on this week. And I want to thank everybody for the feedback as well to the show and uh, all the shows that we have done. A lot of people have reached out. We very much appreciate that. Anyone that has retweeted the shows, um, just uh, circulating. That's uh, what we appreciate the most. So thank you to those of you who have been following the shows, especially over these last couple of weeks where we know we have not made it the easiest shows to keep up to date with, uh, given everything going that is going on. So uh, thank you for being part of the uh, the bridge era, as I am calling it. That is it for me. I am, uh, I am exhausted. So I'm going to sign off. Thank you for listening. We'll be back Monday night following Raw.